Welcome to RVR's Life After Camp podcast. Learn about the camp and retreat ministries of RVR at rivervalleyranch.com. Enjoy. So I gave my kids and my wife an option a long time ago because I, I put them way above I do, uh, me traveling and speaking and stuff like that. And um, so when it's their birthday, when it's the, their birthday week or whatever, we don't go to camps and stuff unless that's their choice. So I'm not like, hey, I really need to do this camp. Dad needs to work or anything like that. Um, I just run it by them. And when I, when I told my son a couple years ago, they gave us the option of doing two River Valley Weeks, and one was going to fall on his birthday, um, I went to him. I was like, I, I don't know. I can't tell you that. Let me go talk to my son. They're like, your son's in charge of your family? I'm like, no, it's not that way. So I, I told Luke, and he was like, no, I, w- I want to do that. And part of it's because he loves River Valley, but part of it's because he believes that the message of Jesus is important to every student and to every person. And so that's why we're here this week. I'm excited about that. Um, we're talking about freedom for the captives tonight. We, we hit the whole thing yesterday, and now we're just hitting bite-sized chunks and kind of looking into that. And um, we're going to throw this verse up on the screen, just as a quick way of review. In Isaiah 61, just look at the first two verses. The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord, we talked about that last night, how God's all-powerful is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives, a release from darkness for the prisoners. Um, that that second part there, it looks like it's the same thing, that freedom for the captives and then release from darkness for the prisoners. In the, in the Greek version, the Septuagint that Jesus was reading in his day, that actually says freedom um, for the blind. That's why they're prisoners in darkness. But this first part that we're going to talk about tonight, uh, freedom for the captives. That's what we're up to in this whole thing. Like, what are we captives to? You might think, I'm not serving a sentence anywhere, obviously, I'm at River Valley Ranch. They don't give ankle bracelets so you can go hang out here for the week. Don't leave the property. You see, that's a walkie-talkie going off now because somebody's ankle bracelet got too close to the edge. <laughs> They're right by the creek. No! Yeah, but, um, we're, we're, we're prisoners to something else. We're prisoners to something else that we're actually born into. And the Bible calls it this sin nature. It's this tendency to choose our way over God's way, and we're prisoners to that. We constantly go back to it. We become like slaves to it or prisoners to it in a way that we're like, you know what, I don't want to do this anymore. Every time I say I don't want to do something anymore, I end up doing that same stupid thing again. Like the other day, uh, I came in to, I don't know if they did this for you guys, but they did it for the leaders and stuff. And so don't feel bad if they didn't do it for you. But we went into, into dinner and uh, this was like, what day was this? Yesterday? Yesterday? And there were like tins on the table full of Cokes and stuff. Did you guys have that? Okay, no, oh, I thought you were going to be angry. So anyways, I, I, I'm, I've quit drinking Coke, and every time I drink a Coke, I drink, I quit again. So I was like, I guess I'll quit tomorrow, you know, so, I mean, that's how we are, right? We, we, we become captive to things, and, and we constantly do it, and sometimes it's because we like the feeling we get when we do those certain things. Sometimes it's because um, we, we just keep falling in the same thing, and we get in this cycle of shame. And guilt, I don't get like shame and guilt about drinking a Coke. It's not that big of a deal, but I would like to, you know, because I'm starting to get the dad bod and I'm trying to get, you know, like I've been working on this one ab for a while and it's time to work on the other five. You know what I mean? Or eight. Is there supposed to be eight? That's never going to happen. Anyway, so <laughs> there can be 10. At, they're there somewhere. They're hidden. All right. They're going to use, they couldn't find 10 abs on me on an x-ray. I'm just saying. So. Uh, but we, we, become, we become slaves to sin. And there's this story in the Old Testament that we're going to look at that talks about slaves to sin and like the, being captives to this in like the picture of a snake. 
I'm not a snake fan. All right, maybe you own snakes. Anybody has a pet snake? I know there's some pet snake people here. You're so brave. It's probably a corn snake, though, so you're not that brave. No, what is yours? Spitting cobra, right? Black mamba, puff adder. What is it? It's a what? A black mamba? Are you being serious? I don't even think we have them in the United States. Okay, all right, all right. So, okay, what kind of snake do you have? Last one. Ball python. All right, that's a little more like it. That's like, <sighs> okay. So I, I'm not a big fan of snakes. As a matter of fact, I've got some friends who are missionaries in Botswana, Africa, and they had a spitting cobra. She is like feeding her baby on the couch. A spitting cobra comes out from underneath their refrigerator and like rises up. So my, my, my friend, her husband, had to like chase it through the house with a grass slasher. And a spitting cobra will come at a human and try to kill them. The only the only snake, because we're, we're freaking out about snakes in America, right? Like, as you'll see them, you're like, ah! The, the only snake that's going to see you and be like, oh, I can take him. The only snake that's going to do that in North America is, is the water moccasin, the cottonmouth. It will actually come at you. Now, copperheads, rattlesnakes and stuff, they're defensive and they will attack you, but that's not their goal. They're not hunting humans. They're hunting rodents, all right? If they happen to come across a human who's too close to them or they feel threatened, they'll come at you. But a water moccasin's like, oh, he thinks he's going to tube down this river? Not today. And he starts making his way toward you. In Africa, they've got snakes that are just like, oh, human, I got to bite that person. I'm not going to eat them or anything. I just want to kill them, all right? So they got spitting cobras and the puff adders and black mambas and stuff like that. Just everything. Bad snakes. And so he had to kill that snake and everything. So I'm not a huge fan of snakes. I'm so not a huge fan of snakes that our, our family's first aid kit contains this. It's the extractor, the bite and sting kit, the only suction device proven to remove snake venom. Because if it happens, I'm going to get it out. Now, you're not supposed to really cut an X and suck the venom out and all this stuff or, or make a tourniquet unless you actually know what you're doing and you've been trained that way. But the extractor will work for you. And we've never used it on a snake bite yet, thank God, because you know, I would freak out. I'd probably be like, ah. But we have used it on tick bites. You can use it on flies and scorpions and ticks and all. There's all different. There's a little thing to shave the hair out of the way first. All right, you've got that in there, and you've got alcohol prep pads. You've got this huge, not huge, but this thing you unfold that talks about all kinds of different things. Even jellyfish stings. This won't do anything for them, but it tells you what to do. And then it's got, <laughs> run! No, I'm just kidding. No, it's like alcohol, then vinegar, not pee on it. I've heard that. But anyways, they don't advise you to do that. But um, you've, got, you've got all these different things. So like there's this little one for ticks. And my wife had a tick one time. And uh, she had two ticks during that week while we were camping. And we didn't do this to the first one, but the other one we caught it in time. And you put it on there. And then you would think that you're pulling out to like suck the venom out of it. But you actually have to Get it, pull it out first, and then you push it in. It's really hard to do if it's on your skin. And then it, it pulled her skin in, and this whole thing filled up with her skin, this little plastic thing. And then we're just watching it, watching it, and then pfft, blood, all right? Just like, it was like suction. For a snake, you're supposed to leave this on for 15 minutes after you get the suction. 15 minutes until, it, and I wouldn't do it to my skin right now because it will be red the rest of the week. All right, but I will do it to the palm of my hand. So, what you because it won't really affect that part of the skin. But you would just put it in like this, and then my skin goes in there, and it just holds it. And you leave that for like 15 minutes as you're trying to get medical help, and it will pull the venom out, and it'll start squirting out a little bit of time, filling that little plastic cup, and you're like, ah, oh, this is good. 
I can make something with this. No, you wouldn't do that. You just throw it away afterwards. But that's, we travel with that because I'm not a huge fan of snakes. And if we ever come across one, and we like to do primitive camping, we're out in the middle, kind of in the middle of nowhere, and there's no electricity and whatnot, and, you know, you don't get any phone service. So you want to have the extractor with you in those situations. So I became a youth pastor recently in North Carolina. I had been a youth pastor years ago, but for the past five years, we've just been on the road in our minivan, like I told you yesterday. So I'm the youth pastor. We did a camp together where we're helping a new church plant in Bel Air, Maryland. All right. Are you from Bel Air? What? Are you guys just like the Fresh Prince? Which is it? I'm just kidding. Different Bel Air. So, so we're in Bel Air. We're doing all this stuff and everything. And we're staying at a camp. Maybe you've heard of it. It's just a campground. We weren't doing anything with their camps per se. But it's Camp Woe Me Too, which is a lot of jokes. That's on your road? This is a small world. Shiloh. Shiloh, next year, anyways, we'll hang out in Bel Air. All right. So anyway, so we're there. We're doing some stuff. And, and somebody comes and gets me. And I, would, I don't know what I was doing. Tetherball, maybe? Tetherball, Gaga. I was doing something. And they, they, they're like, Nate, we need you right now. And so I have to run around and uh, go up towards the dorms, these little cabins, not like your dorms here, which are amazing. These are just like cabins. They're just cabins. Anyways, not a good cabin. But anyways, right outside the girl's cabin, one of the girl's cabins, is a big black snake. All right, just like curled up, right? Curled up. It's either black or one of those, those um, black rat snakes or whatever. Anyways, it's kind of curled up right there, um, right by their door, and no one's going inside. They're like, oh, And it's not poisonous. I know it's not poisonous. So my first, whatever. Anyways, it doesn't have any venom. That would poison me. Okay, so there it is. I know it can't kill me. I know it can't even hurt me. I do, well, it can bite me, but I don't want it to. And I'm like, I'm, my first thought is like I would at RVR or any camp where I'm a speaker at. Go get somebody who is actually responsible for this because I don't work here. All right? That's, what, that's my normal thought. Like, they're just bringing me in. And then I thought, no, wait a minute. We're renting this campground. All the people here are youth workers, and I'm in charge of those people. Oh, no, I'm the camp director. I have to do something about the snake, all right? So I know that's not a big deal for those of you guys who like to handle snakes and stuff, or, but it is for me. So this is, this is the video somebody shot on the phone of me getting rid of that snake. Very careful. One bite can kill him. Oh, man, he's got him. He has got him. There's a little crook at the end. I wasn't stabbing him. on the snake. Will the snake overtake me? This is where my heart's in my throat. He got it, he got it, he got it, he got it. Oh, just remember, guys, one bite. And he, he, he does not want to let go of me. No. So I'm not going to show you the part where I just toss it into the woods and he grabs a tree and I'm like, oh, he'll be back. All right. We saw like four or five snakes that week, we think, or maybe just that one really gets around. We're not sure. But yeah, th those things, like, I'm not a fan of that. The venomous ones, Thank you. you're welcome, are, are a lot worse. And so snakes, for some odd reason, some odd reason, 2,400 years ago, Hippocrates, all right, he wasn't a hypocrite, his name was Hippocrates, from which we take the Hippocratic Oath. And you take the Hippocratic Oath if you're going into what type of field? 
medical field, exactly. So if you're going to be a doctor or whatever, you're going to take this Hippocratic oath, you're going to be like, I'm going to do no harm, and there's a whole bunch more to it. But they have this symbol that you see on paramedic vans, you see on ambulances, and it's got a snake on a pole. And there's, there's sometimes you've got two snakes, sometimes you've got one, and you see this like right on the side, you know these people are coming to help me. But it kind of makes almost no sense. Like, why a snake on a pole? You know, like, what is it? Oh, yeah, I'm coming to help you. I've got a snake on a pole, all right? And that's not what you want to hear that somebody's got if they're coming to help you. You want to see a first aid kit hanging there or something else, but not necessarily a snake on a pole. That's 2,400 years ago. Now, he had some Greek religious beliefs that went into that symbolism of the snake on a pole and everything. And there are even people who try to say the Bible has a similar story, and they try to say that maybe they borrowed it from there and this or that. But here's the thing. The story we're about to look at in the Bible is 3,500 years old, all right? 900 years older than, than Hippocrates coming up with this kind of symbol that we still use today to symbolize healing. And it comes from this story, and I believe Hippocrates because the story of God, of God from God's people was making it through that world, all through the Mediterranean where Greece was and stuff too. I think that he heard that and then he kind of morphed it to what they believed in their, their mythology of the time. But there was actually a story in scripture where they deal with some snakes that symbolize sin to us. And sin is that thing that makes us captives. And Jesus is that one who came to make us free so that we're no longer captives. So we're going to look at this real quick. It sounds like a harsh story, but it's this story that God's using. And then we're going to look in the New Testament at how it relates directly to what Jesus did, okay? This is found in Numbers 21. And uh, we're starting verse 4. We'll throw it up on the screen as well. They traveled from Mount Hor along the route to the Red Sea or the Sea of Reeds to go around Edom. But the people grew impatient on the way. They spoke against God and against Moses. That's the one who was leading them. And said, why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? There is no bread. There is no water. And we detest this miserable food. So basically what God had been doing, and we'll look at the rest of that in a second. God had been doing every morning. He had been providing them with this like manna, which is basically like a grain that they could use and grind up and make food out of. And it was just like their like dew on the ground. He'd been doing that and they had gotten tired of it and they had gotten tired of, they had gotten, they had gotten tired of freedom. They had been slaves. They could be beat to death for not listening to their masters. They had been forced to work hard labor in Egypt and now God was taking them towards a promised land and waiting for them to get it before he would let them get in, to really get what it meant to be free. And here they are like, I want to be a slave in that. You know, like, it was just really, I'm sure, gratingly annoying to Moses. I don't know exactly what God thought of it, but we see his reaction to it of what he actually did. So this is what he did to get their attention and to get people kind of back on the right track. Because here's the thing, if the people of God, if the people that he had chosen not to be better than us, but to bring the Messiah, the chosen Savior, into the world, if they got derailed, they never went to the promised land, they never did any of that stuff, they didn't fulfill prophecy of what Jesus was going to be and who he was, then every, God's plan is gone, but God doesn't allow that to happen. He's going to accomplish his will, and he has to get the people back on track, the ones that are willing to follow him after this. And here's what he does, all right? This is kind of crazy, and it would freak me out, and I'm glad I wasn't there. And the Bible gets it right, and it doesn't say poisonous. It says venomous. You guys are geniuses, all right? Verse 6, then the Lord sent venomous snakes among them. They bit the people, and many Israelites died. 
the people came to Moses and said, we sin, they get it. They get the picture. Now, here's the thing. Now, first of all, before they said, we sinned, if one venomous snake came into their midst and, like, bit one dude, people were superstitious back then. They'd be like, oh, he did something bad, like karma type stuff. You know, like, that was, he must have done something. They wouldn't assume that it was necessarily God, or maybe it was even coincidence. They wouldn't assume that God, assume that God had sent that snake to bite that dude. When the whole camp is overrun by snakes that seemingly are just all headed for them, like every like God like turns on some kind of beacon and all the snakes are like me 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 me. Every if you're trying to get out of the campground, there's snakes. Try to get out of the campground, there's snakes. None of them are happy to see you. None of them are being defensive. They're on the offense and they start biting people and people are running away. It says many Israelites died. Some of them got sick, but here's what they said: the people came to Moses and said, "We sinned when we spoke against the Lord and against you." Pray that the Lord will take away the snakes away from us. So Moses prayed for the people. And God didn't say, okay, I get it. They're all repenting. They're all saying they don't want to do that anymore. So we're going to do this. God decided to set up this picture for us that would mimic something that we see later on in Jesus' day. The Lord said to Moses, make a snake and put it on a pole. Anyone who is bitten can look at it and live so Moses made a bronze snake, and he put it on a pole. He just, like, stuck it in the ground in the middle of camp. Then any, when anyone was bitten by a snake and looked at the bronze snake, they lived. Now, was this huge? Like, man, that's a pretty cool thing, right? Could you imagine going to the doctor and be like, oh, I've got a broken leg. And he's like, all right, here's what I need you to do. Look at this snake. And you're like, my leg's better, you know. So, I mean, like. You have to believe it in order to go to the snake. Because here's the thing about being bitten by a snake. You're supposed to keep the area that is bit be like below your heart. You don't want to like, oh, I got bit in the hand. Take me to the dock. No, you don't want to do that. You don't want to get up and walk. If, if, if possible, let somebody else carry you out of there, all right? Like you don't want your heart rate to speed up. And Moses is saying to people who are laying there like, I'm dying, Moses. I'm dying. He's like, get up and go to the middle of the camp and look at this pole that I put up. It's got a snake on it. You know, you love snakes now, right? You're dying of a snake. But come look at this snake and you'll be healed. They had to have some kind of measure of faith in order to get up in the first place. Because if I'm laying there like that, I know I, I've seen everybody else who gets up and runs around like, Mom, I die. You know, then they do. And you see everybody still chilling who got bit around the same time. You're like, I think I shouldn't move. I can't feel my leg anymore, but I'm not going to speed things up. All right, maybe I'll just sit up a little bit to keep my heart above this, above my leg. And I just, I see that's kind of working with most of these people. Moses is like, hey, run over here. No. Maybe Moses even has it out for me. I've been complaining about it. Moses, you miserable, terrible leader who took us out of slavery. We, look, we prefer it. You know, like, really? I'm like, Moses is like, seriously, run over here. I've got the, I've got the cure. You're going to look at something. Well, that's never worked in the history of medicine. They didn't even have really good medicine back then. But a lot of people just died. Because when this happened, Moses made that thing, and it seems like it took a while for the venom to run its course. But at the same time, some people chose to stay where they were and die instead of getting up and looking at this. Once you see somebody walk back who just like, oh, okay, Moses, I'm coming. And then you're like, oh, Bob's a goner. <laughs> then Bob walks back back. You're like, whoa, I'm up. You're jumping over people and everything. Your legs starting to like go numb. And you're like, oh, where's the snake? Oh, I feel much better. 
Like, I mean, you can just kind of see that happening, and you're like not believing it at first, and you start seeing it real in other people. The reason I'm a believer in Jesus today has less to do with me finding some specific verse in the Bible and more to do with me actually seeing Jesus lived out in somebody. I saw somebody else cured from the venom that they had in them, from the sin that they had, from being a captive to that sin, and saw them do some things that didn't make any sense to me. I was, I was a bully in my school. I was six foot by seventh grade, six two by eighth grade, so I was kind of a large kid. All right, And so I had these other two kids that were even bigger than I was, not tall-wise, but like huge. And um, one of them came to Christ. He became a believer in Jesus, and I saw him take two punches to the face from a kid that he could probably beat up. And the whole time he's like, I know Jesus, I'm not going to fight you. And I was thinking, that's the weirdest thing I've ever seen because two weeks ago Matt would have killed him. And now he's doing that. So seeing somebody walk by no longer with any venom in them, no longer with that limp, numb leg anymore, and seeing something different in them was one of the, the main reason probably that I ended up accepting Jesus because I, I saw that Jesus could change people and I wanted to be changed in that same way because I knew that I couldn't change myself. Now the most, oh, by the way, we'll just, I'll just, I don't have this on the screen, but I'll tell you. In 2 Kings 8, Hezekiah becomes king of Israel, of Judah rather, which is Israel and Judah split. It's a long story, but anyways, they had a big split, a big war, and blah, blah, blah. Anyways, they're down here and stuff. It's kind of like the north and the south here. Back then, not now, we're all united again. Woo! Okay. You wouldn't know it to ask people in North Carolina. They're like, again, eventually we will rise again. And we're like, uh, no. Okay, so in Judah... Hezekiah becomes the king, and he notices people are worshiping false idols, like things that they had made on their own. And so he starts breaking all that stuff down. And all the altars they had made, he smashes them. And then it says that he broke into pieces Neshutan. All right? You're thinking, who is Neshutan? Neshutan is what they named the bronze snake. They kept it. And years later, Hundreds of years later, they started to worship it because they remembered that it had healed them at some point, but it wasn't about it. It was about the one who had said, if you look at it, you'll be healed. It was never about the snake, and it was always about God. And so he broke that into pieces too. Sometimes we can get so excited about the healing that we forget about the healer. We can get so excited about the process that we, that we forget about the one who put the process in place. And God came to make us completely whole. Now, check this out. This is probably the most common verse ever, 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 ever. You've probably heard it. On the way here, on the way to Maryland, we saw this, like on the side of, uh, side of the road on a barn. It was written on a barn. I saw it several other places. We were eating at Country Cooking, which is a restaurant in Virginia. We opened up the menu right there. Here's this verse in the menu right next to the country fried steak, all right? And then later on, we're, we're, there's a tra tractor trailer in front of us. My son gets my attention. Somebody has written with their finger, because this is the dirtiest truck in the history of mankind, they've written the same verse, John 3.16. It's held up at football games. It's held up all over the place. And we treat it like it's a verse in a vacuum. It's just one little thing, and here it is. It's the whole thing. There's nothing else around it. It's just this. But there is some more around it. And we're going to look at a couple of verses right next to it that go right back to this snake story. Jesus is talking, and he's talking to a guy who really wants to know about whether he can become new in Christ. And he's actually a priest. 
He's a priest who's following the old ways and following the old law, but he doesn't really, he's not really sure whether he should follow Jesus. And Jesus is telling him, yeah, you were born the first time you were born in sin, but you have to be born again. You have to, I'm going to do something new in you. I'm going to make you new if you follow me. And here's what he says in verse 14. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. It's right next to it. The picture of Jesus on the cross is the same as the Old Testament picture of that snake on that pole. That we have to look to him in order to be free. That we can no longer be a captive to our sin if we look at him. Now nobody makes any praise and worship songs about the snake. Have you heard that song, God's Not Dead, and they made a movie about it and stuff too, and it's like, he's roaring like a lion. There's nobody's like, he's, he's hissing like a snake. Nobody says that, okay? Because uh, we, we relate the snake to Satan, right? We do, because of, because of the Garden of Eden. We're like, ah, that's Satan. How can we even, why did Jesus use this analogy? Why did God do that? Why would he say, like a snake? He's the lamb of God. He's the lion of Judah. He's the snake on a pole. Like, what? What? Where's God going with this? And here's the thing. In 2 Corinthians 5.21, the Apostle Paul says that Jesus became sin for us who never knew any sin so you could become the righteousness of God. He would exchange his goodness for our badness. He would say, you know what? I'm going to take all your sin. And he didn't just take your sin on. He literally became your sin. In that way, it was like instead of looking at Jesus, it was like looking at that snake. It's like everything wrong we had done was embodied in Jesus in that moment, embodied in him, and then it was taken care of so that we didn't have to be slaves to it anymore, so we didn't have to be in captivity anymore to sin. And that's why he used that snake as that analogy, because it wasn't like it's just Jesus on the cross, and then he's got our sin on his shoulders. He became that for us. All this stuff we've done and all the stuff that's been done to us that's been wrong, all that stuff was in Jesus' mind as if he had done it himself. Even though he had never messed up, he had never known sin, yet he became sin for us so we could be the righteousness of Christ. That's the exchange that he's trying to make with you. To say you don't have to clean yourself up. You don't have to fix anything. Nothing. I can do it. And if you're willing to follow me, then I will do for you what I've done for countless others. And I will free you from captivity to sin. Because every sin, when we choose our way over God's way, every single one will cause us to get fulfillment there. We have to go back to it again and again and again and again. I've never met somebody who got high at a party, you know, six years ago, and they're like, I'm still high. No, you're not. Not from that, not from that same substance. Or you have to go back to that again and again and again and again. Or somebody who looked at pornography once or slept around once or, you know, got drunk once, and then that was it. They're like, oh, I'm still, you know, that was enough for my whole life. No, they keep going back to the things again and again and again that don't necessarily fulfill us permanently. It's constantly pulling and taking and taking and taking from us. But Jesus says, I've come to give you life and life more abundant. I've come to give you life to the full, like a spring of living water welling up inside you that will constantly quench the thirst that you have to find fulfillment in this world and to find purpose. That's what he offers you, and that's what I think is so cool that we're going to keep looking into this week, and I hope that you'll consider where you are in your journey there. Have you made a decision to find healing in God? Because 
that cross is still a symbol of healing. When you see a paramedic um, symbol on the side of a van or something, it still harkens back, even though they give credit to hypocrisy, Hippocrates for it, it still harkens back to the original story that happened 900 years before that, that God was showing people that if we will look to Jesus the same way that those Israelites looked on that snake, we can find healing from what has made us captives. Let me pray for you guys. God, I thank you so much for each and every person here. Lord, I ask that you would continue to speak to our hearts, that we'd be open to what you might be saying to us this week, because I don't believe it's just some guy up here speaking and some people leading worship. I believe that you can use your word, which you tell us never returns empty. When it goes out, it touches our heart. It can speak directly to our spirit. And God, I pray that you would talk to us this week in our small group times and the times where we're hanging out with camp counselors and the times that we're in here specifically seeking from you, God. Be with each of us, Lord. I pray that students that may be captive to certain things this week would leave this week free. In Jesus' name, amen. We hope you enjoyed listening to this Life After Camp episode. Discover all of the year-round adventures at RVR and find out how you can support our ministry at rivervalleyranch.com. Thanks.